G'day everyone, I'm Rita Joyen and welcome to Unbox Your Gift, how to turn your passion into a profession. If you've ever wanted to solve a problem, if you've seen a cause, something that you wanted to help, whether it be poverty, whether it be global warming, whether it be some kind of problem that you've seen in the world and you've thought to yourself, other than just giving money, how else can I help? My guest today has got the solution. He's a 2018 Commonwealth Young Person of the Year and he's achieved that by creating a startup incubator that helps migrants and refugees to create their own startup businesses in Australia. He's the CEO of Catalyzer. He's currently supported 66 migrantpreneurs, I love that, to start 15 new businesses in the first two years. And he's also the Australian lead at the G20 Young Entrepreneurs Alliance, designing G20 Wide Youth Entrepreneurship Visas, that's a mouthful. The very busy Usman Ithakaf, welcome to Unbox Your Gift. Thank you very much for having me, thank you. Thank you Usman. Now, hopefully technology permitting, we're gonna get through this really well and really flowingly, inshallah. So I wanna know for our listeners right now who's thinking, well, what's a startup incubator? What is Catalyzer? And you got young person, Commonwealth Young Person of the Year. What is Catalyzer and how is it that you've got that award? So let's take us back to the very beginning, please. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, came to Australia in 2013, so about five years ago now, definitely not, not that long ago. Um, and so my background was in mechanical engineering. I did a bachelor's from Pakistan. Then I did a master's here at University of Wollongong um, in engineering management. But I found really difficult to get into meaningful work related to my industry. So I was doing a lot of casual jobs, working for you know, service stations and so on. Um, so it was a pretty difficult time for me. And I mean, I was expecting to, to struggle through that time, but I wasn't expecting to be like, you know, uh, I was expecting to be a bottleneck, but not expecting it to be like, you know, the, uh, a, a dead end. And so I was trying for a couple of years, didn't get anywhere. Um, and then just decided to do something different. So, so that different thing was to start my own business. And then I went to um, School for Social Entrepreneurs, which was a, a social enterprise incubator program um, where um, they were basically helping young people in Parramatta to think about starting their own social enterprises. And when I went in, I didn't really have an idea about what I wanted to start. It was very fuzzy. You know, it has to be something renewable energy or clean tech. Uh, but through that process and talking to a lot of mentors and experts, just realized that I could think about solving a problem rather than, um, you know, just, just any other app or any other thing um, and, and something that I felt passionate about. So obviously this was a problem that I've faced, which was this big issue of unemployment and underemployment amongst migrants and refugees in Australia. I also saw um, other friends and, and people going through the same, same challenges. Um, you know, sometimes waiting for six to 10 years, but not really getting anywhere. Um, and so, so it was really frustrating to see that whole thing happening. Uh, and I wanted to, or like in my mind, that that, that uh, light bulb moment was that if I, I was thinking about starting my own business, surely I can help other people do the same thing. Uh, and therefore came the idea of starting Startup Incubator. So I found my co-founder, Jake, at the at SSE. Um, and then we got together. We um, basically got some funding, ran a pilot. The pilot became really successful. So out of the 10 people who, you know, came into the pilot, three of them actually lost their business. That's running to this day. Um, and so we were like, okay, there's definitely something in there. We probably should, you know, spend more time doing it. And I've been doing it ever since. Wow. Okay. So you came to Australia 2013. You couldn't get a job. You go to this program for social entrepreneurs in Parramatta. Was that run by a government? 
body? No, no. That was by a school for social entrepreneurs. That was a social enterprise private organization. And it was actually funded by... Uh, so they were definitely supporting it, but they weren't running it. So you said it was, you just froze a bit. It was funded by whom? It was funded by the uh, city of Parramatta and, oh. and this, uh, as well, but, and also the city foundation, uh, the city bank. Uh, but they weren't the ones running it. It was run by this like, other organization. Okay, all right. So you get this idea to start to help re- migrants and refugees create their own businesses to help this problem of stagnating qualifications that, you know, they're qualified people but just can't correlate that to a job in the job market. And now when you say you started a pilot, how, what does that consist of? So if someone's listening to, uh, to us right now and thinking, well, I've got an idea. What does a pilot mean exactly? What does that consist of? Yeah, I guess I guess it depends on like your idea. So for us, the pilot was something that we could do at a smaller scale to test whether the idea is viable. Uh, mostly, you know, whether we can even run it and if there's something in there, is there potential for it. Um, so we, uh, the way we designed our pilot is we said, okay, well, what's the minimum time frame that we can do a program that, you know, can help people start a business. Um, so for us, that was two months. Um, and then we basically... Um, sort of like position ourselves in the shoes of our customers or because I obviously faced that experience of thinking about, you know, what their mindset is, where they're coming from, looked at the off the shelf of the programs that were running for entrepreneurship and sort of created our own curriculum, uh, went to the government, there was an end of financial year. So basically two years ago now, um, asked them for some funding. We're very lucky got that funding. Um, and in a, in a space of about two months, we were able to like, you know, get all these resources together, get the funding and then run the pilot. Um, but, the the whole point about the pilot was that it's meant to be just validating what your idea is mm. and whether it has legs. And when we started, um, our whole thinking was we weren't really sure if this is actually going to work uh, because it wasn't being done before anywhere. Like we were probably the first ones in the world to do this. Uh, and then we were actually after that. Now it's like you know a lot of different places in the world that are doing it. Are we helping them out? We're like they're thinking about how to do it. So in Germany, in the UK, in Turkey, in Italy, um, there's different countries and, and like different cities who are experimenting with this. But we we're probably the first one in the world who like to de- dedicate, like created this specific incubator for migrants and refugees and looked at that sort of target market specifically wow. for that reason. And, and you, like five years, you've been five years in Australia since you've migrated. Are you pinching yourself thinking like, dear God, like that's incredible. The, the momentum that you've built, the success that you've gained, like that's pretty huge. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think I'm in a parallel universe every day. Well, like, uh, this is out of this world, man. Absolutely. And extremely lucky as well. I think there's, I mean, there's so many people who have helped me, um, you know, like mentors and, and like organizations and who've helped us uh, both at Catalyzer, but also me personally. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, like it's definitely not me as an individual doing all of this. There's like, you know, so many people behind the scenes and so much team effort that goes into this. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely very, very lucky. Yeah, well, no, I just think it's, it's amazing. And the reason why I say that um, is you've supported so far 66 migrant partners, as we said in the beginning, 15 new businesses. Uh, so take me through the, the process. So I want, for example, so take me, for example, I want to start a business. I have an idea. I have a problem that I want to solve. What do I do now? And I'm a refugee. Or I'm a, and I am a, I was a refugee. I am a migrant. What do I do next? 
Um, so if you come to our program, basic, or you apply to our program online, um, and then we'll just give you a call, see you know if you're the right fit for the program, um, and you meet the eligibility criteria, which is basically that you are a migrant refugee and you've got at least conversational English. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't, then there's other programs that are supporting you to build that. Um, and and then well, once we know what the problem we want to solve, then um, you basically get invited to to meet the rest of the court at whatever the starting date of the program is. We'll run a boot camp that was for a weekend. We'll help you understand the basics of entrepreneurship. So what is the mindset you need to have? Uh, run some workshops on community building. Um, you know, introduce you to mentors who can help you along the way, um, and and you know help you to to understand how to communicate that idea better or the problem you want to solve. After that, it's all about like going out in the field and actually working on it. So it's not like a university or a, another classroom setting where you will sit and we'll tell you what to do. It's more like you'll have a coaching session with us every week where we'll discuss what your goals are and what do you think are some of the ideas in which you can meet them or, you know, do some brainstorming. But then you're the one who have to go out and talk to potential customers and see whether that's a real problem. Uh, or whether you think it's a problem. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people who think, oh, yeah, there's a problem that I can solve, but actually it's not really big of a problem. Uh, <laughs> so, so it's important to, to, to sort of test that first and see whether that's going to work. Then the next step will be, okay, you validated that this is an actual problem. You know, for example, uh, you know, you, you were like, you know, there's a problem that Egyptian street food can't be found in Australia, right? Like, for example. Um, so you wanted to... Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> right? And so if you wanted to solve that problem and you said, I, I know I'm Egyptian and I know how to create Egyptian like, you know, food. And we actually had someone who exactly had that sort of thing. And they were like, you know, we can make this amazing Egyptian dish called Koshiri, uh, which is rice, lentils, a bunch of sort of, you know, uh, ingredients put together. A really famous in Egypt, street food. Um, also is vegan, so it goes really well with like the general Australian population. So they're like, okay, why don't we start this thing called a Cushy Corner, which is basically a food truck that specifically makes that as their signature dish. Um, so then the next thing is, you know, they will make something, like in a prototype. Uh, they will bring it to, like, you know, for example, the next workshop, and we'll all taste it and see how it's like. We'll give them some feedback. They will go and test with other people, generally friends and family in the beginning, uh, because it's like food, so it's easy to test. Uh, you know, people will give you certain feedback. We'll help them understand how to take feedback, how to improve their sort of product. Then the next step is going out to the market, trying to get like that sort of whole thing going. Uh, but it's step by step, you know, helping people with, uh, or in, in case, in your case, if you want to start a business, helping you with um, what you need when you need it rather than overwhelming you with like all the knowledge and say, this is the business course, read everything, do all these workshops. It's more like, okay, you know, you come to us and we work together on helping you on your most immediate problems and then also helping you on figuring out how you can improve not just your business, but also yourself. So there's a lot of that personal development aspect of this as well, where like, you know, I want to improve my public speaking or I want to improve uh, my time management, a whole bunch of these other things that are inherently built into the program. So people become more confident and can, you know, do their business in a much better way. So it's jam packed. Like it sounds like it's jam packed, but, but trickle down to where you are. So it's just bite-sized pieces. Absolutely. <laughs> Excuse me. So how does an engineer, like a, a previous engineer like yourself, develop a curriculum such as so elaborate and so life-changing as this? Well, I guess there's a, there's a few things. I mean, I definitely didn't do it on my own. Um, 
I had a, a co-founder, Jake, who came from that business and accounting background. So that was definitely useful. But then also we just looked online of uh, a lot of research in entrepreneurship, uh, education. So there's so much available, so much content available. Um, and then we were looking at an ex- and sort of like measuring or basically seeing different models. And for me, it was all a scientific experiment, right? When we started, it's saying, okay, this is a curriculum that we think might work just like, you know, like you think that your food might be tasty uh, and then you want to see if it's actually going to work. So the first pilot, cohort the reason why they called a pilot is because we were testing everything with them uh, and so there are things that we learned that we were like you know this is something that works this is something that doesn't work so next time we're going to improve it and every time we'll improve those different aspects and bits and pieces um, to, to, create, to create a program that's you know the most effective at the end. Right. And I was looking at your team that's involved with Catalyze. I mean you have a huge bank or buffet of skill sets of people that bring the mentors, the coaches who help with, you know, startups and small business. You've got all these little, how did you find and source these people? Oh, just coffees are like more and more coffees, basically. (laughs) Is there a coffee track that you've got on them? (laughs) So when we started, because we were very lucky in the sense that we were part of an incubator program already. So we already had some mentors and and networks that were developed through that. And they introduced us to a few people. Uh, But then after that, like that first round, we just basically used what we had to call a lot of people, connect with one or the other, participated in similar programs like that in the future um, to just increase our own network because we realized that we're in the business of connecting people mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 you know, like networks is a crucial thing. So through our research and through our work, the two biggest things that we add value in for, for migrant refugees has nothing to do with business. It's networks and confidence. Like those are the two things that people generally have a lot of skills and ideas, uh, but they sometimes just don't have the confidence to go and do it because they're like, you know, it's too risky. I don't know how Australia is going to work, all those other ideas. So there's a lot of your own fears that are stopping you. Uh, so helping them do stuff and build that confidence. And the second thing is having the network that you can rely on to help you get funding, to help you figure out, you know, how to sell. I mean, do everything essentially. Uh, and so we first built that network to help us set up, but then we also use that network to build a much broader network. And, and once you, I guess like the other thing is, but we just didn't care about, you know, building that first and then started doing, we just started doing it. And then eventually we got more and more recognition. So more people looked at us and then came to us and helped us. Well. So how do you guys market? How do you market uh, to refugees and migrants to come and apply with you guys? Uh, various different ways. So we started with uh, basically working with community organisations, so uh, local organisations that are working with refugees, migrants, SSI, Community Migrant Resource Centre, uh, a whole plethora of organisations and who are the channel to uh, people. But then what we also found recently is Facebook marketing, initial marketing is really effective uh, because a lot of people actually who are not with those organizations but are still looking for opportunities and looking for them online these days. Um, so if you, if you do those targeted ads, then you can get, get a lot of those people as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of different things okay. at the moment. So when the startup phase, Usman, when, like, so for example, the, the students that come to you who are looking to start up, have an idea, a problem to solve, and they're looking for your help and your network's your mentorship to help them solve that problem and bring it to fruition. And I'm thinking on the side of, do they support themselves? So do they have to have a job on the side to have this idea flourish? Or are they getting funding along the way to looking to get, how does that work for someone that's listening 
so that they can get an engagement of how they need to be prepared for the funding or the finances of it? Yeah, and I guess that's a, that's a pretty good question because it depends on the kind of business you wanted to do. So um, another thing we've sort of like evolved on, I guess, in the past uh, sort of two years is when we started, we were looking at all kinds of businesses, so both SMEs and startups. Now we focus more on the technical side, especially so all like um, social enterprises, uh, because we, we think that we can like help them better than just like any kind of business. Uh, but because especially for small businesses, you know, like your funding is either you get a bank loan or, you know, you'll be working on like selling your product. So you get big money and the more revenue you make that will fund you or basically your salary and your living. Whereas if you're running a startup that, you know, essentially is going to make a lot of money in the future, then you can go to venture capitalists and ask them for funding. So we make those connections, but we don't provide funding ourselves. Um, so a lot of the times the people who come and work with us and we understand this is a pretty critical problem, um, they generally have some sort of a part-time job or have some savings as well. Uh, and it's obviously makes harder um, to start a business, uh, but we've, we've realized that. So one of the other things that we've recently changed is that we've run, instead of running a three months program that we've run in the past couple of years, now we're running a six months program and it's a lot more flexible uh, exactly because of that reason, because people uh, can't devote full time to it. You know, it's not like any other accelerator where, you know, you just go and work five days a week um, and expect no salary. It's, it's much harder. Um, so, you know, we understand those sort of constraints that people are under uh, and it's, it's, it's hard. It's not an easy thing to, you know, just like go ahead and start a business. So if anyone who wants to do it, uh, we just tell, like we try to, uh, talk them out of it as much as possible <laughs> but if they're still very interested and we're like you know we really want to do this and we really care about a certain problem we want to solve then you know like they go in with their eyes open that it's not going to be an easy journey mm. uh, but the, but the rewards are such that you know like you want to do it so for some people do it out of needs for example in my own personal case where you know if nothing else is working you do it or uh, you really have a deep insight on some problem where you really want to solve um, like you know or really care about something that you uh, want to pursue then it, it depends on that but like a lot of people are not looking for that short-term return it's always that long-term meaning that you're searching for uh, and people are willing to sacrifice their time for it were you in the beginning like if we could bring it back to yourself were you in the beginning supporting yourself by working part-time casual and those other jobs while you're working on catalyzer absolutely absolutely yeah and i've still been doing it for the last year yeah okay all right fantastic so here's what's interesting when you get something an award as wonderful and grandiose as commonwealth young person of the year um, how, who finds out about that? How, do you apply? Do they approach you? How does that work? Uh, yeah, it's a very good question. So um, for that, that was, I also took part in another program after the, the one that I mentioned before, which is by um, Foundation for Young Australians, FYA. Uh, so that program specifically, um, you know, helps young people who already have started a social enterprise and then help them scale to the next level. Um, so when I took part in that program, um, you know, I guess I became part of the network um, and they nominated me for this award. Um, so I found out after, like I basically found out that I was nominated um, and then, you know, you go in and you fill in parts of the application after. Um, and then they do the whole sort of like, you know, uh, selection process and, just think they've got judges and different criteria that they judge against. So yes, so as I said, pretty lucky, pretty lucky to get it, but uh, definitely didn't do it on my own. Did you, did you uh, hang out with, when Prince Harry presented you with the award, did you hang out with him? 
Yeah, yeah, we did. So we before the before we got the award, we basically had a meeting around table with Prince Harry and the Prime Minister Theresa May of the UK. Um, and we were talking oh, about it was ah, uh, and, and we were talking about the, the the future of the Commonwealth and what like different like what young people think and what are the issues that we care about and how we can take action on it. So it was a really good session. They're very receptive and listening to I guess our ideas and our thoughts yeah. on that stuff as well. And talk about connections. You really built some pretty huge solid connections as being at that meeting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very, very good connections. <laughs> very good, and that's the best thing about awards. I think the the award, of course, is valuable and wonderful, but the connections that come from those recognitions is what really cements and is becomes the real gold. Wouldn't you agree with that, or would you say it's different? Uh, absolutely, and and I would also add that there's also the the doors that open after the recognition. So, for example, like you know, getting invited to this interview, this is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, that's how yeah. I found out about you. I mean, I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> because it's a huge, big deal. Now, what's really interesting for me uh, this is when I was researching you and I was, when I was researching Catalyzer for this interview, one thing that struck me was your level of confidence. The fact that you were, because you're teaching confidence in Catalyzer for those who are wanting to start a business, but for you to come and start a business after five years being new, brand spanking new to a country, and having, yes, you went to the entrepreneurship or the social enterprise school, but, you know, at the end of the day, they can only tell you, give you so much. What is it about you that is so ambitious? Like, what is, what's the characteristic? What propels you? What compels you to move forward and start having started what you have? Um, I think part of it is just like having that engineer's mindset. So uh, having, basically knowing that, you know, like trying to, uh, and this is funny, but like basically trying not to be too emotional about certain situations and trying to look at things as a system um, and really trying to figure out like other ways you can solve those problems that you're facing. So for me, um, you know, for example, by having that sort of like engineering training in the background was really helpful um, going through some struggles and tough times and, and being persistent and resilient through that. Um, and then trying to see the big picture and try to see, okay, well, you know, if I can't make my way through this direction maybe there's another way around mm. um, to do it uh, but but having said that I, I guess it's really hard I've always been like you know trying to do something interesting or, or better mm. uh, I just don't know like uh, it's very hard for me to qualify that specifically for me but uh, it's just I think it's just like it's more of a mindset thing at the end of the day like I know there's other people that I've personally seen who have gone through very similar situation but have given up yeah. uh, and they've continued the same same uh, direction for 10 years. Uh, so when I look at that, I say, well, why is it that uh, they have to do it? Like for me, it's obvious that I'm going to take a step back and reevaluate the situation and then see whether I'm going in the right direction. And I think maybe because our lives move so fast these days, then when we get too comfortable, we just don't, Mm -hmm. reevaluate reflect on on the things that we're doing yeah. and i think it's really useful so i mean i don't know there's a variety of different factors but mm. uh, i think i'm pretty lucky as well <laughs> well i think a lot of hard work a lot of determination and i think you just you didn't have a back door like you just you had to do something you had you couldn't you know there wasn't any back there wasn't a plan b it was this this was it you just had to try all your yeah yeah, so I was like, well, there's, if there's no door, I'll create one. Essentially, that was the end of the day. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, but I'm curious to know, Smart, when you were having the meeting at the roundtable with Prince Harry and uh, Prime Minister Theresa May, 
and they were asking your suggestions of the direction of where the Commonwealth was heading. What was your, are you able to share with us what your thoughts were on that and what your suggestions were where the Commonwealth is heading? So it, was, it wasn't just me, there was a bunch of different people, but I guess we just, the general things that we discussed were around what are the issues we care about. So climate change is one of the biggest issues that we all touched on. As, as young people, obviously, we're going to face the brunt of that. Um, and also, how do we uh, look at young people differently and youth not as um, sort of a liability or as people you know, who are lazy or don't do much? It's more like, how do we unlock the potential in young people uh, to really go out and try to solve those problems because at the end of the day, yes, we are inheriting those problems, but we are the ones who also have to create those solutions as well. Mm. Uh, and, and the future of the Commonwealth was more like the, the discussion was more about how we know that this system has a legacy. There are like, you know, good parts and also some terrible parts as well. And we need to recognize that and be open to it, but also use this as an opportunity to build bridges and empathize with different countries uh, and see how we can work together in the future. Uh, because say, for example, I mean, I'm, as I said, pretty lucky to be involved in a bunch of these organizations, such as the G20, where most of the countries are pretty rich and privileged, mm. whereas with the Commonwealth, you've got like this really interesting balance of mm. countries like Australia and Canada and the UK, and then there's other countries on the spectrum. Um, so it's good to have that discussion and we were all encouraged to speak our mind. It wasn't like, you know, this is the protocol, do you need this? It was more like, just really say what do you think, which I think was really useful to sort of just share our thoughts and then think really big picture and think about climate change, think about our oceans, think about like the power of young people, all those different things. Yeah, well, they're tapping into their market, which is you. <laughs> just, you know what I mean? Like that's smart of them. They're tapping into your thoughts to really accommodate their work and their messaging. Tell me this, you mentioned the G20. I know that you're the Australian lead for the G20 Young Entrepreneur Alliance. What does that mean? So the G20 Young Entrepreneurs Alliance is basically a body that sits with the G20 and the, the aim of the body is to represent young entrepreneurs across the G20 countries. There are about 500,000 of us across the whole G20 countries. Uh, and so I was part of the delegation that I guess went to Berlin last year um, representing Australia. There were 20 of us um, and similar from other countries, people were, were there, young people. Um, and so we were looking at, you know, issues and how we can make life easier for young entrepreneurs. So um, there were like three key issues that we were targeting. One was like education and specifically entrepreneurship education was a, was a thing. Smart taxation. So, you know, people don't have to worry about 10 different taxing systems if they're like setting up businesses, expanding businesses, that kind of stuff. And third was the biggest one was mobility. It's like how do young people, you know, go across different countries and, you know, create jobs or, you know, create new innovative solutions to problems without facing those restrictive regimes because uh, if you've got a lot of money and you're like a seasoned entrepreneur you can you know buy yourself a bunch of different business suites and go there but for young people who want to start a new business or have a, a really good idea it's not that easy uh, there are no visas that exist so we've been working for the past year to develop a position paper on um, you know, just, just recommending this sort of like youth entrepreneurship visa to different G20 countries. And obviously it's going to be different for each country and how they implement it based on their own local visa system. Uh, and so I'm representing Australia in that, in that discussion and looking at what our systems are and how we can improve them and so on. So it's also allowing uh, people from the G20 countries to easily travel with visas. Is that correct as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So travel, but like not just any people specifically, 
uh, entrepreneurs yeah. uh, because the thinking is that, you know, entrepreneurs are going to go and create jobs yeah. um, in different countries, whether they're expanding their business or even they're going into a new country and trying to start a business. So we want to really encourage that yeah. uh, young people to think creatively and, and, you know, have that entrepreneurship mindset. So how did you get involved with becoming a, a delegate or a part of the cohort of the G20? How did you... Um, yeah, as I said, as super lucky because I participated in the program with the Foundation for Young Australians after like starting Catalyzer, which was the next step of, you know, how do we grow and scale the work that we're doing. Wow. And so one of my mentors uh, was the president of the delegation. Um, so he told me that this was something that was happening and I, I, mean, I still applied and went through the whole process. But like just like knowing that, you know, that that's something like that existed that I could, you know, apply for and be a part of. And they were looking to represent entrepreneurs in Australia and have more diversity as well. So, um, you know, like we're looking for gender balance, culture balance, a whole bunch of different things. I guess I got some of those points as well. <laughs> I think God is just watching out for you, man. Like God is like really like pouring blessings and that's beautiful. That's beautiful because you're taking the opportunities and you're just running with it. That's just, just a gift. So people come in, they get ideas, they have ideas, problems to solve. Catalyzer helps them execute and I'm going to ask a question and I just, you can, you can give me a vague answer, you can give me a general answer, but I'd like to know of the people that apply and who have ideas, how many of them actually go and execute? Um, so we don't take everyone who applies. That's another thing. Like we only, in the past, we've had a higher sort of acceptance rate. Now we've reduced that acceptance rate. Uh, a, because I mean, we've become more popular, B, so we can be a bit more selective, uh, B, like the people who are coming to us are so amazing that, you know, it's, it's like for us, we want to spend more time with an individual. Uh, so in terms of how many people actually execute, uh, in the past, say, cohort, we had five startups, about um, 11 sort of co-founders um, included. Um, and so they're all running still. And they like that finished in December. They're all still running their business. So they're all executing. And our focus is not on learning entrepreneurship as a skill. It's basically literally to just go out there and try and test your idea. If it doesn't work, that's still a good outcome. Um, and people whose ideas don't work, they generally end up getting into decent employment uh, because of the networks they built. So there's no losing in, in this sort of game uh, as long as you're doing stuff. Um, and the people who are, you know, are unable to execute in the beginning, like our whole focus is to just get them to do stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so we don't, we don't look at it like, you know, there's people who can't execute or people who can execute. Probably like I'd, I'd say like, you know, 70, 80% actually can't execute when they come in. But we try to reduce that to like 10, 20% uh, by the end of the program. And the reason for that is because our like, program is specifically suited to this group of co or cohort um, looking at behavioral psychology um, and seeing how we can build really good habits, how we can break down and chunk those you know, big projects and tasks into really small and tiny things that they can actually feel comfortable doing and confident doing. And then really, uh, I guess, sort of like brainstorm ideas of how to do it and then troubleshoot where they're unable to sort of take action. So sometimes it's fear, sometimes a whole bunch of other reasons, but trying to build that rapport and try to build that, um, that relationship with people where they can be honest and they can uh, help basically you can help them figure out why they can't do what they can't do but the whole focus is on execution like we we often i mean we will tell them things or we connect them to mentors but we don't teach them anything new they already know a lot of this stuff it's more a matter of 
helping them do what they believe they should be doing. Mm, mm, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, as you said, you're providing the platform for them to stand on. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Now, here's the thing, Osman. You know, a few episodes ago, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Kenton Lee, who's created this product called The Shoe That Grows. So there's a shoe he's created. It took him six, six years to make it. But it actually grows with a child's foot so that orphans and people uh, in developing countries don't have to buy shoes constantly or don't have to walk barefoot. And so one of the, reasons how, one of the ways he generates income for his social enterprise is every shoe that he gives to an orphanage, he sells one to a consumer in America. Uh, conversely, someone like Give Back Box, which is a social enterprise where this lady from, Pol from Polish background puts, sends out uh, boxes to Amazon and Macy's and all these other companies, and they all pay her a fee for her Give Back Boxes. So it's a social enterprise. So there's a, a way in which they all generate income. I'm curious to know with Catalyze, and I'm coming back to you, uh, there is my point here, how does Catalyze generate and sustain an income for it to uphold itself? Yeah, so it's a black box. Uh, so for us, we have been funded by um, government, by corporate partners, by um, high net worth individuals. Um, so, so, so it's a variety of different ways. Um, so far, we haven't generated our own sort of like internal revenue. Um, and the reason for us is because when we decided to step on this journey, uh, our whole focus was to create sort of two organizations, the social enterprise. We've got a for-profit arm and there's a not-for-profit arm. It's a Catalyzer Foundation. So the, the IP is in the for-profit arm, basically the programs that we've created. Um, and then the actual... Um, programs are run by the not-for-profit um the, the the incubator programs and so what we actually do is we take a percentage a small percent of equity from different companies uh and in the not-for-profit uh, with the aim that if and when they are successful in the future maybe it takes five years or ten years then they can give back to the not-for-profit and that can make it sustainable but that's a very long-term play uh in terms of our business model uh short term we are still relying on that external funding however we are like also starting to do some consulting work on the side now with the for-profit uh, both in australia but also overseas um so that is going to significantly help us i guess in the long run and the reason why we have that sort of ip sitting there is is another reason is also because we want to expand not just in australia but also globally uh because this is a like the, the refugee crisis there's like 21 million people who are currently uh, like displaced as refugees is like around 45 million more who are internally displaced and these are the people right now with climate change and like for me I'm said the intersection of both of them uh, there's going to be probably about like the, some some of the studies show that we might even have up to 2 billion refugees by the end of the century so if we have no idea of how to deal with 20 million refugees which we don't right now to be honest uh, we have we have no clue how we're going to deal with that once like climate change hits with like sea level rise and a whole bunch of other problems. So my mission is to really figure out at scale what does it look like for um, refugees and migrants to try to create solutions for themselves in a long, long period of time. That's just absolutely out of this world, incredible. It's my you have a lot happening. I mean, you you are the leader of the G20. You by the way, what does catalyzer mean? Uh, so just like. Uh, Catalyst, right? Catalyst is a uh, is a com uh, basically something that helps uh, accelerate a chain reaction. So, say you know you've got different chemicals in the mix, uh, and the catalyst is facilitates that. 
So Catalyzer is basically just based off of that. We couldn't get Catalyst because it was already trademarked. <laughs> so that's a short reason for it. Yeah. Oh, I like the way around that. Okay. So how, yeah. do you, how much time do you, would you recommend someone to spend on from uh, inception of ID to research, to pilot, to execution? How much time, like five hours a day, 10 hours a week, what would you say? What, how much did you spend? Uh, I think there's no real answer for that because it totally depends on your business like if you're trying to do gene therapy versus you know or like creating that shoe that you're talking about versus like setting up a food business uh, that's like really basic and you already know how to make uh so like it depends on what the r&d component is depends on the kind of business you want to run depends on the regulations uh so there's a lot of different things but i guess if if you want to solve a really hard problem uh it will probably take you 10 years. It's not going to take you 10 years to think about it, but I think like to really get somewhere uh, meaningful or to create some sort of social change, um, you will start with your problem. You probably do some things and make a lot of missteps along the way. Uh, for us, we always uh, ask people to just start doing stuff because if you are in the research phase for too long, unless you're doing an R&D to create some sort of a product, which is different, but if you're just generally researching the market or like looking online at stuff, and not doing something that's off sometimes because you are afraid of taking action or you don't know how to execute. So we always ask people to go and do stuff. Um, and, you know, obviously as long as it's not risky. Um, so, you know, you're not creating a drug and just like selling to people without <laughs> the thing. So I just want to be clear on that. Like, don't do that. But like, you know, if it's like uh, things that you can test and validate and take action on, then do that and then improve over time. It's probably the best way to do it. But again, there's all, always exceptions to these rules. So there's no fixed okay. time frame. Look at spend 10. Sorry, go on. No, you can spend 10 hours, you can spend 40 hours a week. But like, if you're not focusing on the right things, even if you spend all of your days focusing on like working on your business, probably won't get anywhere. So the key message is to really focus on the things that will help your business or your idea take, go to the next level. Okay, I love that. I totally love that. And I love the fact that you, you focus on refugees and migrants. And I love the fact that it's problem focused, problem focused to create a solution from that. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, I, I guess at the end of the day, if you could start everything again, if you were to do it all over again, what advice would you give your younger self? Well, I think I'm definitely still young. Young, did I say younger? I meant younger if I didn't say that. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Uh, so when you say younger self, do you mean when I was starting Catalyzer or before starting coming to Australia? Yeah. yeah. When so if you could start Catalyzer all over again, the whole, whole journey, to maybe uh, advance it, accelerate it at a different level, what would you have told your younger self? I don't think I could tell, tell anything different, to be honest, because... Uh, I had a, like some very good mentors and like my co-founder Jake, who, you know, we, we talked a lot about this stuff and we mostly did the right things. Uh, I mean, we made mistakes, but they were mistakes that were, you know, like that you would make anyway, you want to learn from. But generally speaking, you know, we've been super lucky in two years to get to the point that we are. So I don't, I don't really know if I would tell them to do anything differently. Um, uh, yeah, like I, I just don't see anything specific. And maybe in like five years' time, I might have something. But I, I guess it's just too early to say. No, that's honest. And that's, that's honestly true that you've done so well in a very short period of time. Someone is listening to this, Usman, and they're thinking, you know, I want to be able to do something of value. I want to find meaning outside my job. What would you recommend that they start doing straight away? 
um, start reading. I think for me, it's the biggest thing. So, and not reading social media or like news, but like reading books, reading uh, literature or things that are interesting. I mean, not everyone wants to read. So there's ways like you can do audiobooks, a whole bunch of things. But for me, the biggest learning has come from just like consuming books and uh, and sort of like deeper deeper research around stuff some of that can be really boring so it depends on like you know what you like uh, but follow follow your curiosity start reading uh, start thinking as well like give yourself some thinking time so some so there's another sort of exercise you can do really easy without putting any pressure on yourself which is uh, like say I'm going to have two hours of thinking every week mm-hmm. and that basically is the time where you're going to block out your calendar say I'm going to do thinking not going to get anything distracted by put all your social media electronic devices outside the room just have a pen and a paper and think it sounds easy but it's really really difficult mm-hmm. to just think mm-hmm. uh, and once you start thinking you will come up with a hundred problems that you're facing right now uh, or you see every day and so it's that entrepreneurial mindset is not just looking at the problems and stopping there because everyone does that but looking at problems as opportunities that are worth solving mm-hmm. um, and then something do you really care about right so uh, there's a problem piece there's the piece of something that you know aligns with your skill sets that you know um, or areas in which you want to develop your skills. Uh, so, you know, you can, if you want to solve that problem, you can be really good at it. So say if someone decided to to become a nuclear physicist and they, you know, I don't know, were doing botany or something different, completely different, uh, it would be probably like a 10-year journey to get to that stage. So that's, unless you're really, really committed, you probably won't do that. But like, you know, in, this, in the small ways, you can do other things. Uh, and I guess the third thing is to think about how uh, it's actually going to help the world. So... You know, is it just a problem that's like, oh, yeah, it's going to make some money and it's like a small thing or is it something that's really going to affect? So for me personally, I think that there are a lot of people who are not wasting their time, spending their time on problems, even in the startup or entrepreneurship sector, that just not the problems worth solving. And that can be controversial, but uh, I think there's like, but there's like big problems that we are all facing, right? Whether that's climate change, whether that's the refugee crisis, mm. uh, or a whole bunch of other things. Uh, mental health is a good example. Uh, education is another good example. There's like really big industries that need improvement, uh, that need change. Um, and so thinking about, you know, what you can do in them, I think, and we need more and more people to think really big and creative and, and don't be afraid to fail, right? That's the end of the, th- end of the day. A lot of people think about the stuff and then don't do anything because they're afraid of failure. Uh, but just like be like expect failure and it's a good thing that you're failing because if you're failing that means that no one else is going to try this or very few people are going to try it because it's it's most likely going to fail but then eventually if you keep failing at it long enough you'll eventually find one way that is successful you know smart it's interesting that you said that um that you you know expect to fail because if you do it's just going to get you closer but also you said not all problems are worth solving before you how do you know if your problem is i know you said before go to the market and see but if the market is like yeah yeah it's good i like you know i need what you have how do you know for sure that if it's a big enough problem like it's a worthwhile problem how do you define that so for example we don't need another facebook right okay okay uh, or we don't need another cryptocurrency uh, it's like some of these things where uh, like the that you can see and you can tell that that's something that probably shouldn't be investing your time in unless you're really doing something I'm personally thinking about it from 
the angle of when I say problems worth solving, I'm thinking from the human needs perspective, uh, where like what are our really core needs that we have right now, um, and how you can create something that you know genuinely makes someone's life better. So, are you saving someone time? Are you you know uh, saving someone's or like you know creating someone's uh, like improving someone's quality of life in terms of you know health or whatever something like that? Are you you know providing say for example in the energy space? Are you doing something to provide electricity to a billion people? who don't have electricity are you solving the water prices are you like there's so many of these problems that are really tough hard problems um, that i wish more people were working on uh and and so like you know we know the problem when you're yeah. working on problems worth solving you know that that's worth solving yeah we got an e for it so if someone's listening to you right now and they say i'd love to apply how do i get on board where should they go this month so as you go to our website, our applications are actually open at the moment. Uh, so it's like catalyzer.com.au slash apply. And it's a very basic form. takes you less than two minutes to fill it out. Great, great. Is there a fee to apply? No, there's no fees to apply. You just go in and if you're accepted, you're accepted. Yeah, and so once you apply, then we'll, you know, get in touch with you once the application's closed. Um, and then have a quick check-in with you. And if we think that, you know, you meet the criteria, then we'll call you in and... Right. Is there any fee throughout the whole process of being in the program? Well, as I said, the fee is more from the equity perspective. So if you oh, do right. end up starting a business, no, then you give us a But there's no cash. Okay. No. All right. okay. no, that's fine. I just wanted to clarify that for the listeners so that they can go actually go and have the conference to apply for it. Because if there's an idea that's burning inside them and a problem worth solving, it would be a great opportunity for them to work with you guys. Last question, Asman, are you ready? Absolutely. <laughs> How do you keep yourself on sharp and on, on the go? Like, how do you how do you personally develop yourself? Um, I sort of try to take my own medicine in that case. So a lot of the stuff that we've been doing in terms of behavioral psychology and things like that, to be able to teach it and to work with people, you uh, it's good that you also try it on yourself and see if it works, uh, rather than just like you know prescribing some medicine or someone. It's probably not medicine, but like you know things like that. So. Uh, building good habits like I personally don't use Facebook for example I quit it like six months ago or something and I've just ha- never been happier in my life um, I don't have a personal page or the company doesn't have a page oh I don't have a page personally you like, don't oh, I don't yeah but I had but I spent so much time on Facebook before so right. like things like that trying to reduce like you know bad habits and build good habits like you know doing exercise uh, you know, like this mental health is really important, trying to get a break, trying to hang out with friends, all of those other things. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, having said that, I mean, you know, like I will also have times of like, you know, up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you know, when I'm talking to people, I'm not going to show that I'm in a d- different state mm-hmm. uh, because you have to put on a mask. A lot of entrepreneurs do. Uh, but when you're working with people, you know, like, you know, like that, that real self comes out anyway. Uh, and, and that's another message I want to give to people. Like don't look at people on TV or people who you think are successful and think that they don't go through hard times because I think we all face those times together and struggles together. It's just like your, uh, like your mindset and your reaction to it is what makes it important. It's interesting you said that I just interviewed a gold medalist, uh, Jesse Unglang, who won the gold at the Commonwealth Games. And he said to me when he was winning gold, he was, um, he was swimming in the lane and he could see his competitors next to him. So he could see somewhere forward, somewhere behind. So he's comparing his, his positioning, like as he's in the competition with everybody else. And he's saying to me, his coach was going, don't do that because you're going to lose it. And it's the same with life. Like if you look at anybody else, 
in the game of life, in the journey of life, you're going to lose it. So when you talk about social media, it's exactly what you're looking at. You're looking at other people's journey, which is irrelevant to your own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you want, if you look at them to be in touch, then that's a different thing. Say WhatsApp, for example. Mm. But absolutely, yeah. If you want to use it for, uh, like, you know, for vanity and see how many likes can I get on this, and why didn't I get the likes and someone else did, or why am I looking like this? I mean, all these things that, mm. uh, even if you don't want to do, just by being virtue of involved in that, like, your mind will go in that direction. Yeah. Um, so, like, feeding your mind healthy diet as well as your body is really important. Yeah, you don't find that you don't promote catalyzer on your. Per- you didn't promote catalyzer on your personal profile on Facebook. Oh, I did heaps. I absolutely did. Uh, but now I don't have a profile. So you, it doesn't matter. It didn't make a difference that closing it down for business. Well, I mean, it, it probably will, right? And that's the thing that you've got to make a trade off. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we, we still have Catalyzer page on Facebook because a lot of you people do use Facebook. Um, so, so I guess like that's where you have to find out like the balance between your own personal uh, mental health and your business, mm-hmm. uh, and and make those trade offs. Uh, I think when you're starting something that's very different because you want to just like shout out from every balcony you can find. Yeah. As I said, we're very lucky to be able to be in this privileged position where we don't have to go out and tell people about what we're doing because a lot of people already know about us. Uh, and we've found out ways in which we can reach those people. So for us, it's more about, you know, just like focusing and delivering on what we promise we are going to do. Fantastic. Well, Usman, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. May God give you the courage, the confidence, and the blessings that you've already been given and add to it even more so you can reach your mission and help refugees and migrants globally. Thank you very much and really, really appreciate it. Had a fantastic chat with you. Thank you, guys, and thank you for listening. We'll catch you on the very next episode.